0: Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State.
1: Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunneen Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunneen Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunneen Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at Dunneenbrewery.com.
0: In 1947, Ferdinand Porsche and his son Ferry constructed the car that would make their family name iconic, the 356. A legend was born. The revolutionary new model was a top performer on the racetrack and the commercial market. Once the 356 had made it, explains former sports car star Jürgen Bart, they went up to the next level, and that was sports cars, which include the 550 Spider. The Spider was itself inspired by the Gluckler Porsche, built by Frankfurt VW dealer Walter Gluckler. The Porsche-powered independent construction was a three-time winner of the German sports car championships. Porsche's own engineers envisaged the 550 Spyder as the perfect aerodynamic racing car. Ultra light and with minimal drag, just like the wing of a plane. The slim, low body was reduced to a streamlined cladding of the engine and chassis. The engineers adopted the front suspension, steering, wheels and brakes from the Porsche 356. The Spyder's pounding heart was the Furman engine. It had four camshafts and eight spark plugs distributed across four cylinders. The air-cooled boxer engine generated a respectable 110 horsepower from its modest 1.5 liter displacement. The Carrera Panamericana in Mexico. 1954 was chosen as the stage to demonstrate the new Porsche's power. The makers were lacking funds to finance entry in the race, so racing department chief Hushka von Honstein turned the open road rally into a runway. Fischke von Hanstein found an inventive way of funding the 550 Spider's first competitive action, explained 70's Porsche star Jürgen Bart: The first factory cars he sent across the Atlantic were sold immediately after competition. In the Panamericana's case, that helped to finance the transportation and logistics costs. And Pushka, the racing baron as he was called, also came up with the idea of painting the logos of two big money sponsors on a Spider, a first in the motorsports world. The little 550 Spiders finished in the high profile third and fourth spots, beaten only by two 12 cylinder Ferraris, plus the Spider drove in a commanding victory in its class. Umberto Maglioli took to the wheel of the new Porsche 550 at the 1956 Targa Florio. He trounced the competition. Winning almost 15 minutes ahead of the rest. It was the Spider's first overall victory at a major international race. Porsche's many successes on the track back then, with the 356 and 550, had a direct impact on the sales of its commercial models. It was the best marketing tool Porsche could have
3: found. <laughs>
0: The Porsche 550 joined in the official sales program. All that performance and prestige, and it immediately became a hit among the rich and the famous.
3: And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Out up my sleeve. Crystal! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now, here's something we hope you'll really like.
4: Hi, everybody. It's Derek Bell, the five time Lamar winner, three time Daytona 24 hour winner, two time world sports car champion. You're listening to nostalgic radio and cars.
2: Welcome, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live Christmas Eve downtown at the Tantalk Radio studio in Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreetmotorsports.com, and if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, or just simply Google Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening, everybody. Merry, merry, merry Christmas Merry Christmas, Bobby. Bobby's in the driver's seat this evening, and Tommy, Yay. our Hello. normal producer, is over here riding shotgun with me. What about that? This is confusing. This is is. Confu- Merry Christmas, Tommy. Is this what it's
3: like over here? This is
2: what it's like. Now, Tommy, let me ask you a question. Whoa. Have, have you ever ahead. been on this side of this? Well, I know Whoa. you have, but... Recently, have you been on this side of the? Uh, no, not
3: recently.
2: Not recently. Well, no, welcome to Nostalgic no. Radio Cars. I sit and
3: over there and I exchange political views with Bill.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, our good buddy Bill Cochran. What's the name of the show, Bobby? It is uh, only in America. Only in America. Yes, only uh, in America. At, get yeah. your
1: get your uh, promo code Bill That's
2: right. So My, there's our get
1: yep. a Bill of pillows. <laughs> <for> <laughs> <Christmas>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: anyway, we got an exciting show for you tonight. And believe it or not, yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, yes, ma'am, yes, everybody, sports fans, <laughs> car guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, you two Artie. Uh we have a live guest coming on here in a little bit, so uh, you know that's pretty uh pretty As pretty... opposed to me? Well no, you're <laughs> our first guest. You're our first special guest Ooh. Tommy. Yeah, so
3: for that's... some reason or another
0: you sound a little taller on radio. <laughs> yeah, I've
3: been told that my whole life. You're yeah, my own radio. <laughs> Very good, buddy. Uh, want Christmas to drive radio station.
2: <laughs> anyway, yeah. yes, we want to be uh, happy and frolicky and all that other good stuff. Tommy, now you uh, know, interesting enough, besides being the uh, radio production engineer here yes, at the Tan Talk Radio Studio, you actually have a little bit of car background. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your car background? I
3: have a little bit of car background. My very first. Job was working at my father's used car lot. Okay. I've been dealing with cars and my dad since I was, what should I even say, 15, 14, 15 years old. Wow. worked for him for many years. And uh,
2: yeah, so I have a little car.
3: Good. Yeah, good. I definitely have car interest. Car's okay, always super. been a part of the thing. Well, good. Thing,
2: yeah. I appreciate that. And yeah. uh, because it's always been. That's why I
3: like doing your show.
2: Yeah, thank you, thank you,
1: thank you.
3: Well, you know, <laughs> we don't have much. We have a wide variety of programming here uh-huh. that the board op gets plopped into. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> so I mean, not that I don't enjoy everybody else's show, but when you have interest in something, yeah, you enjoy it more. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Robert, thanks for having me on, man. I tell you, you guys, have a great yeah. show. You're very famous down there in that Clearwater area. <laughs> of course. Man people that uh, listen to the show
2: that's cool <laughs> well thank you thank you thank you i appreciate that uh that was one of our uh former guests um i think that was uh, i'm not sure who that was but that was someone who was on our show one point in time. might have been the guy from mark from god uh, guns and automobiles or yeah it sounds think, like a, yeah mark muller maybe mark muller we need to get him back on the show again mm-hmm. so Tommy. Yes, so sir. like uh how'd you get into the radio business
3: well, I got into the radio business because I didn't want to be in a car business. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, that, that's really interesting. You know, when your Don't dad... Don't make me! Come up. <laughs> I'm sorry, i got to call you back. When your dad has a business, and yeah. he w- not necessarily wants to pass it along, but... I, I mean, I get, maybe he did want that at some point, but I just wasn't a car salesperson. Uh-huh. And uh, obviously, that's a big part of a used car business. Oh, yeah. Know? So I chose uh, radio. To, to go and to you know, stay in school and...
2: You, oh, didn't get, you didn't to go radio. to one of those. You didn't go to one of those places called Connecticut School of No, Bodke. I did not. No, you did you not. learned the I hard learned, way.
3: I um, learned by going to a county college in New Jersey at first. I had uh-huh. A very good journalism program, and then I came to and went to USF. To, didn't offer us a squad. <laughs> uh,
4: <laughs>
3: as far as continuing what you know I wanted to yeah. do, I had already taken everything they said. So, uh-huh. so I got out as quick as I could and just took a communications. And then I, I, I was very lucky to get a job very oh. quickly at a WPLP. It was an old talk radio station in Pinellas Park. Oh, okay. In the mid-'80s, I guess it would be considered. So. And I've been here in radio ever since.
2: Well, you've been studio here, what, at least four or five years now, right? Uh,
3: close to. I had a little
2: Sibidical, hiatus. Subbidical. a hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. medical. I, I like that. Another <laughs> <career>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you're home, well, and yeah, we, we love having you. Uh, I love having you.
3: appreciate that. I love doing the show.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, you guys are great. Uh, when are you going to uh, start your own radio station?
3: Yeah.
1: When she's selling.
2: <laughs> when she's selling. And then the next
1: question is when I, I win the lottery. Then, yeah, yeah then there you go. You go. could there have it. asked for something for Christmas. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. radio station.
3: The, the pick three number I had the other night didn't cover it. Oh, quite as darn. Oh. So I, I'm so happy. I am so lucky. Okay, $80. Ooh, you
2: I, adapted the dog. <laughs>
3: couldn't even put here pass. <laughs>
2: Anyway, all right, yeah, this is a live cool. radio show, just uh, for the other, you, those of you, all of you that have tuned in. And again, I want to welcome everybody to the Nostalgic Radio and Cars this evening on this very, very special Christmas Eve. Uh, hey, Tommy, any shout-outs? Want to give shoutouts? shout well, outs How about well, yeah, actually, Radio Rob? Like, oh, really radio important. Rob. <laughs> we got to give Radio Rob a shout-out, because Rob Number called me.
3: Number one uh, fan of all the, WTAM programs. That's right. He sent Rob you. A, he sent you a Christmas card. Send me a nice Christmas card. I never really got one from a listener in my... And your,
2: on your years? <laughs> I'm not really having no many
3: listeners as much as I know Rob. But, uh, oh. Rob's a good guy, and I wish him a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Okay. He's a nice man.
2: Yeah, sure. Bobby, any shout outs? Anybody you want to give a shout out to besides uh, Bill and Lynn, who's got a show on here? What's it? Talk of the
1: Town, right? <laughs> and
3: hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, be
2: right
3: if I didn't do
1: that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a family that we're going to join soon that's probably, uh, it could be listening or not. So Merry Christmas to them. Yeah, uh, Merry, Christmas. Merry yeah. Christmas to FLAcarShows.com, our wonderful sponsor. Um, the Rib Shop. Uh, I have to also say I'm Tommy's wearing the elf hat cause I finally made, I've been able to continue my streak of, um, Not avoiding weird. being in, <laughs> avoiding being in that studio for a Christmas show for some reason. <laughs> it's kind of like avoiding a Christmas program or something like that. But, uh, so, uh, Patsy called me the, uh, uh, with, um, uh, joy on paper 11 o'clock here today. Uh, the elf behind the glass. So I'm going to, uh, I'm, I shout out to her. I'm, Feel like the elf behind the glass here <laughs> and um let's see the rib shack barbecue uh
2: dunning Dr- brewery dunning Can brewery gene testin over there at garage one garage want to give a big one. shout out to him
1: our good friends products yep yep yeah, yep yeah. Uh, and check them all out they're in our you should subscribe to our newsletters you know tan talk does uh oh. <laughs> and uh it's a great
3: newsletter
2: a big shout out to my old buddies that meet every Sunday religiously down there at the McDonald's or Mickey D's on uh, Madeira Beach. So, a big shout out to the Mickey D crowd. And this just a bunch of old car guys. When I say old, you know, we got a mix anywhere from, I don't know, kids to 60, 70 year old seasoned guys that are the car collectors British cars, German cars, American cars, all kinds of cool cars. So, a uh, big shout out to our Mickey D club. Uh, shout out to my good friends at Hollywood Wheels. So, a big shout out to uh, Mike and Kelly and.
3: Where's Hollywood Flo? Wheels?
2: That's down in uh, S- uh, Seminole Largo area, oh, okay. but that's the auction company I used to work oh, for, okay. and uh, I want to just wish them a Merry Christmas over there because yeah, they were absolutely. always
1: cool to me. Hi, ah, anyway. yes, and um, who else, Bobby? I just had him. You just had them? and em? then it poofed. It poofed just like that, it just like that. It was, well, oh, like, oh, the city of Largo, thank you for jo- for bringing us a part of your wonderful old-fashioned Christmas parade downtown Largo. I saw the photos. Yeah, we we uh, the sleigh. Uh, made its return to downtown Largo, and the people loved it. Uh, and to, to clarify, we did not get pulled over by Largo Police Department. We <laughs> and we also did not repost Santa's car. So those were the those were the rumors spreading around downtown. So we just wanted to clear that up. It
2: was it Santa's sled? Huh? Yeah, yeah. We had a uh, real cool 1973 Pontiac Trans M on the back. I saw it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Very rare that. color too, Bristol green.
3: Is
2: that your car? Uh, oh. it's 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 Because it's, I, it's, I
3: know you you have a few vehicles, and when I saw well, yeah, that,
2: I mostly have uh, Fords, but uh, and, Money you know, and penny and there's a stray Pontiac maybe in our future. Oh. That
0: know. is not what we program here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, on that note, I think it's time to fire up the stereo. What do you think, Bobby?
1: Yeah, we got now, uh, some unique Christmas music since you've been. we uh, we're gonna now make it the 102. Greatest Christmas songs of all time today.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, another song goes out to actually my wife and your mother. And uh, we used to go out west skiing all the time. Of course, I'm from out west, so I'm used to snow on the ground. So this is a really cool old song. It's by Dance Vogelberg. And uh, what's the title of it again, Bobby?
1: Hi, this is Same Old Lang... We can't old pronounce Lang- it. Old Lang's Eye. Old Lang's Eye, yeah. Yes, I always it. miss that. I always oh, it look at but- this.
2: <laughs> anyway, he's tuning in Nostalgic Waiting in Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. We have a special guest. Merry Christmas to everybody.
3: Merry Christmas.
2: Thank you, Tommy. Oh, yeah. I stole behind her in the frozen foods,
4: and I touched her on the sleeve. She didn't recognize the face at first, but then her eyes.
2: Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend Corey at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive. You're into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Merry Christmas, everybody. You know who else we need to give a big shout-out to? Tim up there, Tim's Performance Center in Tarpon Springs. Hi, uh, yes. Verona place. Yeah. So is a good old boy, good friend of ours. Uh, I'll let it slide. He's a Chevy guy. But, hey, look, we uh, both like Fords. That's a good thing. So, And he used to have a Torino back in the day. Anyway, well, let's see. What should we talk about real quick? We've got a few minutes before we uh, shift to our next uh, break and then bring our guests on an evening. But, uh, you know, it's Christmas. It's a very special time. Yeah. And Merry Christmas, America. How about that? Merry Christmas, yeah. United States of America. We've got a great country. Next year promises to be a really, really good year. We're all looking forward to that. New Year's is right around the corner. We are doing a New Year's Eve show. Yes, so. yes, the
1: New Year's special on uh, New Year's Eve, the 31st. Don't forget, be here again. Uh, we won't have all the pretty lights but we'll we'll you'll have us and uh that's that's the important part so um you know once we've uh, eaten all your milk and cookies you left out by the radio <laughs>
2: so, so how does it feel to uh, be in the driver's seat it's like good old days
1: hey yeah yeah it's like uh it's like it's like you haven't driven in a long time and then you you know you get back you've you had a chauffeur let's just say and then you uh, you get back out and you're just avoiding signs and stuff and <laughs>
2: Well, anyway, hey, that was cool to have Tommy on the show, though. I really That was really Tom. cool. Yep. Tommy's a good guy. Tommy, if you're listening, thank you very much again. Merry Christmas to you. I appreciate all the work you do all year long for me. You know, he does real good. And mm-hmm. I really, I mean, would it be fair to say that I have one of the more complicated radio shows here yes. with all the effects and everything that goes on? Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, my, people a lot of parts. Are, yeah, there's a lot of parts to this. So, And people don't really realize. I mean, I put a lot of effort into the show. I mean, obviously, look, we're here, Christmas Eve. We have only missed two shows I think in the entire nine and a half years that we've been live on the air and that's only because we were out of town and we ran reruns because they said so and then after that I got smart and I said you know what the heck with reruns let's just do live shows when I'm on the road and that's uh, we've been doing it ever since so
1: one of those we pre-recorded I want to say
2: one might have been pre-recorded yeah there might
1: yeah so it was a new show technically
2: yeah Um, FLA Car Show Minute. Bobby, you want to shout that out real quick?
1: Absolutely. Central Florida, West Florida, South Florida, all over Florida, flacarshows.com. Thank you for hanging in with us this whole year here um, and beyond. And uh, it's the place to go, flacarshows.com. We're getting into another part two of the big car show season, and it is your go-to place. For anything and all cars, Florida. Mm -hmm. Now, what's coming up
2: here? Mecham Auction starts... January 2nd, 14 days, roughly, I think. 4,000 cars, but the big deal, the big deal is the bullet Mustang will be for sale. It will be auctioned off. So uh, I'm trying to encourage everybody to go over there. We might even caravan people over there. Scottsdale Collector Car Week, that's coming up. That starts in three weeks, and uh, I have my good friend Gary Bennett on. He's with Lake Auction now, so that'll be taking place. You got Lake Auction, Bear Jackson Auction, Russo and Steel, Gooding, and Bonham's Auction. And there's one other one I can't think of the name right now. And let's see. Then we got the Cavalino taking place for all you Ferrari guys in South Florida. For all us musician guys or musicians, musician want to be like me. We have the what's it? Orlando International Guitar Expo. Did I say that
1: right this time, Bobby? Yes, yes, Orlando International Guitar and Music Expo. Yeah, that's
2: it. And then, of course, Boca Concourse is coming up. Uh, we've got the Daytona 24 Hour Races coming up. We got the, uh, let's see what else is coming up. We have, uh, oh, and Amelia Island is coming up, but that'll be in March. So we'll kind of clue you in as this stuff goes on. But this January is a pretty busy month. And the first Sunday of every month, and that'll be in a couple of weeks. We'll be the Sumter County's fairground. Now, on that note, I think Bobby's going to cue off to another song. We're going to get our guests on and stick around because this gentleman is really, really, really interesting. Although
1: I do want to say one more thing. Sure, we will give you we will give you more information at the New Year's show. But we are going into the tenth year of this wonderful show here on the Tan Talk Radio Network, and uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of cool stuff going on next year. That's right, yep, yep. next year. But uh, we just wanted to, you know, give a little hint to it now.
2: Absolutely. But For yeah. the most
1: fascinating and legendary names
2: in motorsports right here on the Tantalk Radio Network, live on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Bobby, let's take it away. Oh, What's that, son?
1: Christmas just isn't going to be the theme this year. Well, why is that?
0: cassandra has got a brand new bag.
4: In the 1950s, car culture took over the planet and the Paris debut of the 550 changed the world of auto racing. Its dominance of motorsport helped introduce Porsche to North American car
0: lovers. The 550 specifically as a race car was minimalism at its finest. You think back to motorsport uh, in a time where it was all about horsepower, it was all about big tires and wheels. Just add more. Add more displacement, more tire size, more brakes, and hope you get to the end. And here comes Porsche um, and and the giant killer. Having less weight is like having more power. It's like having
4: more grip. It's like having better efficiency. Less weight uh, acts on every single thing the car does.
3: To me, when I first look at this car, I just think Porsche and racing. I mean, that is it. And you look inside it, and you go, look at it. It's so damn basic, you can't believe.
2: But it's functional, and that's what Porsches are about. It's really what's necessary, and that's all that's there. Straight, uncut sports car.
1: The 550 Spider was uh, raced by many famous drivers in America but uh, yeah, there were other celebrities and of course the most important one was James Dean and uh, yeah, maybe this is also part of the myth of the 550.
0: That was a car you could drive to the
3: racetrack, you're just like, here's my road car, and you just drive up and you get your little bag out and your little leather helmet and then you just go out there and whip everything and you just drive home, you know, have a beer or something.
1: This is Jochen Maas. Hello. And you hear Nostalgic Radio and Autos. Wunderbar.
2: Okay, we're back. Yes, thank you, Herr Jochen Maas, who uh, most notoriously drove Porsches back in the day, as along with uh, Jürgen Bart and some of the other notorious German drivers. Anyway, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman uh, has a close association with uh, Porsche 550s, and that's one of our specials this evening. I'm delighted to welcome him to the show. The father of the Beck Spider, Chuck Beck himself. Chuck, how you doing, buddy?
4: Oh, doing great.
2: So how are things up in Atlanta? What kind of weather you guys got up there? You don't have any snow on the ground yet, do
4: you? <laughs> no, actually, it's pretty nice. We've had a lot of rain for the last few days, but it's uh, pretty nice out now. Oh, hey, it's Christmas, you know.
2: It's Christmas. That's right. Merry Christmas to you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, let's go ahead. Let's start from the beginning. You're a car guy. Uh, you Actually, you're a native Floridian. I did not know that until we talked about this the other day. You grew up in Pensacola. So uh, why don't you give us a little background on yourself and familiarize our listeners with who you are?
4: Well, I uh, grew up in Pensacola, as you said. I went off in the Air Force in the first of 55 and uh, uh, wound up on the West Coast. In 58, or 57, actually, I got out of the Air Force, went to work for the local VW Porsche dealer. I had had a couple of VWs prior to that, and uh, I just sort of been with the VW Porsche thing for the last 60 or 70 years or whatever it's been.
2: Now the uh, you you were you you didn't really start racing or anything like that, but you got it kind of involved with the racing scene, and that was what once you relocated to Southern California.
4: Well, my dad, as most guys in the South, messed around circle track racing a little oh. bit. Uh, I always uh, leaned toward the sports cars, and. Uh, uh, you know, going to work for a Porsche dealer, it sort of went in that direction and uh, was fortunate enough to work for some dealers that did some racing and uh, uh, worked for uh, the distributor for Triumph and we raced those and then later raced Porsches and uh you know, in other words, all through the 60s, basically playing with the race cars and uh, just never got over it.
2: Well, tell us this, too. This is kind of interesting, because you worked in a Porsche dealership, what, in the early 50s or mid-50s then, mid to late 50s? Or was it earlier than that?
4: Went to work there in 58.
2: What was Porsche like? So, in other words, a lot, I grew up in Northern California, and we were in a small town, and the Volkswagen dealership had Porsches. So, they might have had 10 Volkswagens on the lot, but they might have had two Porsches there. What was it like for the dealership that you worked in? I mean, did people really kind of, was Porsche getting kind of like growing? Was it a big deal? And how many cars did you have in the lot? And what was the enthusiasm? like?
4: I think we typically kept about two Porsches in stock and uh, whatever our monthly allotment of Volkswagens was. Of course, at that point, we sold everything we could get. Um, at a sales meeting for Volkswagen, I heard something that sort of you know, impressed me uh, for my production, etc. They said, manufacture one less car than you can sell well it made sense the guy that makes more cars than he can sell he has to start discounting and negotiating every deal etc but you know back in the day uh, Volkswagen sold for 1492 or whatever it was and that was a price period
2: interesting what was the price tag of a Porsche back then
4: Uh. They had a super coupe on the showroom floor, Rudge right and wheels, uh, sunroof, pretty well loaded. Ooh. It was forty-two hundred bucks, and I tried to get the owner of the business to discount it to me since I was an employee, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, he wouldn't discount the thing a nickel. So I went down the street and bought a '59 Chevy Impala for twenty-nine hundred bucks. So <laughs> that gives you some idea of you know, the price of the things in real money.
2: Interesting, interesting. So what was the name of the dealership, and were they involved in any racing? I mean, you're on Pensacola, so obviously Brundage was on the other side, on Jacksonville, and they were messing around with Porsches, but uh, did there, was there any race cars or any dealerships involved with racing in Pensacola?
4: Well, well, when I went to work for Beringman Road there in San Bernardino, uh, we had a salesman uh, that raced uh, Ducati motorcycles and was involved in somebody's Porsche race car. This wasn't a 550, it was just a coupe. And, uh, but the the company directly, no, they weren't involved. Okay. And I returned to Pensacola in 61 for a couple of years. I went to work for uh, Gerard Motors. They were in the import of Triumph and Peugeot and Renault and a whole bunch of cars. So we had uh, Triumphs, we had one Ace Bristol, uh, uh, some Renaults. In other words, a pretty well full fleet of cars that we raced.
2: Interesting. Now, what tracks that you have participated in? I mean, in the 50s and early 60s, they were still racing on a lot of, uh, let's say, military bases, Air Force bases. Um, obviously, Road to Atlanta, when well, I don't even know, was Road to Atlanta around back then in the 50s?
4: No, I don't think so. Uh, Well, on the west coast, you know, we had Riverside, uh, Paramount Ranch. uh, They actually raced on the Pomona Fairground there. um, And uh, Willow Springs, uh, I never was up there, but I think it came along somewhere around that period. Okay, But Riverside was the big track.
2: Now, you yourself, did you do any racing, or were you more or less like into the— the mechanic and support side of, of of race cars?
4: Oh, I've done some driving, but mostly I've been involved in building or prepping.
2: Okay. Now, you were telling me, too, that when you were at the, uh, at, when, in the Air Force, you kind of learned a lot of your trade there because there was a lot of uh, – Um, you know, with aircraft, aerodynamics, uh, wing development, things like that. So tell us a little bit about that and how that kind of helped you along.
4: Well, they had, uh, you know, schools always had something going on. And uh, rather than going to the local bar and hanging out, I uh, chose to go and do this. And even though I don't have any, Formal education, I probably have more time studying stuff like that than most kids, and uh, because it was something I was interested in, you know, Uh, and uh, that's kind of the way I spent my spare time when I was in the military.
2: Okay. So let's fast forward, let's go into the mid-60s in California. You actually worked, and I did not know this, you worked for Carroll Shelby, and you were part of the GT40 program. And with the movie that just came out, did you get a chance to see it, by the way?
4: Yeah, uh, my family insisted we go see the thing. Insisted. Uh, Actually, actually, uh, we sold them four cars that was in the movie. Did you really? Yeah. They, had, they bought two of our 904s, one of the 550s, and the Speedster that uh, uh, Shelby was driving in the beginning was one of our cars.
2: Oh, I did not know that. That's good. So now tell us about, take us back to um, 1966 when you were working there for Carroll Shelby, and you were working on the GT40 program and then later the, uh, the four J car. So tell us a little bit about those cars. What was that
4: like? Well, it was one of those things where uh, I got offered a chance to go down an interview, got hired, and uh, worked directly for Phil Remington, actually, who was the brains behind all of that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was for a car nut, how much better can it be? We had all this money behind us. We were going to Europe, got to kick Ferrari and Porsche's butt, and yeah. managed to do it. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was a great time. It didn't pay much money, but, you know, it was a great time.
2: What was your actual function? I mean, what did you actually have to do in the in the day? I mean, if you worked with, uh, with Phil Remington, obviously he was like their uh, chief engineer if you will i mean he wasn't actually an engineer but he was just like their their chief guy that uh made everything happen there and the in the magic department
4: right. right well one day you're welding suspension the next day you're riveting something together or putting some fiberglass together or in other words whatever needed being doing in building race cars that's what we did
2: What was it like working for Carroll Shelby? What was the mood like? I mean, was everybody, was there a strong camaraderie within the organization?
4: Well, uh, see, we had a, uh, we were isolated in a fenced-in area in the middle of the facility. And uh, I think there was maybe 15, 16 of us guys that worked in there. Mm -hmm. And in that bunch, uh, yeah, we were all just about, getting it done you know uh we didn't have any of this petty you know he said we said we said stuff it was let's get the damn thing done and uh you know get some race cars that's capable of doing the job
2: did you um get a chance to interact with ken miles at all
4: I met Ken uh, before. See, I went to work just shortly after he he got killed. Oh. i met him before at the races there around Southern California. Okay, didn't really know him. I mean, you know, I met him, but that was it.
2: So then you were actually on the Mark on the J Car project, which was basically the forerunner to the Mark IV, the long the long-bodied uh, uh, GT40, yep. then, right? Okay.
4: And? Yeah, well, the Mark IV that won Lamar sixty seven. '67, right. I put the body extension zone down under the door, put the windows in it, uh, put the bubble on the roof. You know, like I say, one day you're welding suspension and the next day you're riveting parts on or gluing the body together. It, 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 you know, you didn't have a specialty per se, you did whatever they needed.
2: Okay, so you actually worked on Dan Kearney's car if you put the bubble in it, right? Yeah. Okay. Did you get a chance to meet Dan Gurney back in the day then, too? Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, So then you left and then you got involved with uh, Trans M Racing. Tell us a little bit about that.
4: Well, when Ford pulled the money back after Lamar, you know, the project was over, Mm -hmm. Um, I actually got hired by Hooker, uh, you know, Hooker Headers to Uh design an off road race car. And uh, Buddy and myself uh we had a chance to buy one of the uh, Mustang, you know, actual factory race cars, one of the acid-dip cars, oh. for a couple of grand. And uh, after driving the thing, we chose to go and buy a Camaro Def Strip car and make a Trans Am car. Ran at the end of 67, 68, uh, I wound up uh, finishing what I was doing there with Hooker and we started a company called Funco, uh, making off-road race cars. 68, um, 69. I sold out of Funco, bought a T160 Lola, went Can-Am racing, and uh, figured out pretty quick I neither had the wallet or the hair to <laughs> be a Can-Am racer, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I. I you spend $50,000 on a race car and you're living in a $15,000 house that you're making payments on it. It doesn't make a lot of sense.
2: No, no, no. Uh, economics are off there. So then what happened?
4: Well, after that, I sort of stayed away from racing. And, you know, over the years after that, yeah, I'll go to the track, I'll play. I've built, you know, help my son build cars, help friends own projects and stuff, but just you know, it became a hobby. Nothing nothing that uh, I'm going to go and sell my home and and go and hike for like I used to be.
2: All right, let's go fast forward. Let's talk about the infamous, the car that you're most recognized for, the Beck Spider. Tell us how the Beck Spider came to be.
4: Well, in the late uh, 70s, uh, I had done some aircraft stuff and this, that, and the other, and I decided that I was going to reproduce the Porsche 904. Well, I set out to find a car that I could splash to help get the project going, and uh, didn't have any luck. Found a guy with a 910 that needed rebodying, and we did that. And it turns out that one of the 910 customers had a 550. And you know, jokingly one day I said, "Hey, I'm going to take your car and make some molds from it and make a car." And he threatened to do bad things to me if I touched his car. Well, he <laughs> saw the 910 was coming out, so he brought the car over. And I splashed it and made one for myself. And uh, some magazine guy saw it one day. And, oh, you have a 550. I said, well, it's a fake. It's not real. And uh, he asked to borrow it, take it out, and drive it around. And it wound up on the cover of uh, one of the kit car books and next thing you know i had to put a second phone line in and hire a secretary and the rest of its history you know <laughs> we, we've been back ordered on cars for the last 30 years or whatever it's been you know wow um, how but,
2: many how many uh, Beck buyers have been built now total since the and you started this when early 80s right
4: 83 the 83. first car rolled okay and uh Yeah, we're pushing 3,000 cars.
2: That's a lot of
4: cars. Um, That's a lot of cars. Uh, In the mid 60s or mid 80s, we went to Brazil with the project because most of the components on the original car were VW Beetle. You know, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a Porsche Spider rear axle, it was a VW Beetle rear axle. And uh, the uh, factory in Brazil was still manufacturing Beetles. So we went down and uh, uh, set up a deal with the factory to get components hmm. and basically reproduced the car fairly accurate. The car is actually two inches longer to give a little more cockpit room. Uh, front suspension is the ball joint Volkswagen. instead sort of the kingpin, so it's a little smoother operating. Rear suspension is pretty well identical to the original 550. So it looks, acts, handles like a Porsche 550, you know. And I've told people over the years, if you're expecting something with roll-up windows and an automatic air conditioning, this is not your car. This (laughs) is a basic mid-50s sports race car. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we have people out there who appreciate something like that. So we've sold quite
2: a few of them over the years. Amazing. Now, you are indirectly are you still involved with the company or indirectly involved with the company or how does that work today?
4: Uh, not not really. I sold the operation to a friend of mine and uh he and his son and actually my son are uh building the cars now. I don't know. They got 12 or 15 guys in the shop. Um uh, about the only thing I do now is develop new product. I just finished uh 356 C Coupe for them, the 2 uh-huh. and got the first uh, car together for them, and uh, um, you know, so they're setting off to produce the things. But they're doing the Speedster, the Spider, the 904, and now the Coupe.
2: Okay. Now let me ask you this. I want to digress for a second. You, somehow along the way, became good friends with Rick Titus, who's the son of the legendary uh, Jerry Titus, you actually raced for Carroll Shelby, and then later uh, Pontiac, I think, for Herb Adams back in the day in Trans yeah. Am. And So you and, and Rick kind of got together. He does a radio show slash podcast out in California, but you guys concocted this crazy little car back in the uh, uh, late 80s, early 90s. It's called the Shogun, and I remember reading about that. Why don't you tell us about the Shogun?
4: Well, I had met Rick back in the early 80s. Uh, he was working for I don't remember which, but one of the books at the time. And uh, through the 80s, he had driven my Spider and racing, some racing here and there and stuff like that. Um, but uh, somewhere in the, I guess it was, was 89, uh, through Rick, I borrowed a show Taurus from their press fleet for Christmas because I didn't have a sedan and I needed to hold my mom around. Anyway... Uh, we got to. He had been to Europe driving the RS two hundred rally car, and we got to drinking a few beers and talking about this one night. And I go, "Hey, we ought to get one of those little small Fords, uh, smaller than the Escort, and put a show motor in the back of it." Yeah, that's a great idea. So, uh, when we started talking to Ford about doing this, they insisted that it be all Ford components as much as possible so we wound up mounting the engine sideways as it is in the front of the torus rather than longitudinal the way i was planning originally and used uh, the show torus brakes on the little festiva so that gives it pretty good brakes and uh, redid all of the suspension both front and rear and uh, about the only thing that was left was Festival was the roof and doors that we didn't modify. <laughs> so uh, you wound up with a 2,200 pound a little pocket rocket, and I think the best the car ever did when we were playing with it was a high 12 second quarter mile, uh, and the thing would run 150 miles an hour, the little ugly box. So at the time in 1990, that made it a pretty serious car. Um, you know, and it handled, you know, we got the handling very, very good on the thing. So uh, I know we were at a test with a four bed, some particular special model, and the Lotus Esprit Turbo, and we just spanked the shit out of both of them with the Ford diva. So you know, but um, it, you know, it, it, it took some development work to get the thing because I'd never done a car with McPherson strut suspension. Uh, matter of fact, everything I pretty well ever worked on, I started with a clean place in the floor. And having to start with a car and modify it was sort of something new for me. And uh, so it, it, we had some exciting rides before we got the thing working.
2: How many of those did you make? You made, what, 10, 12, 15 of them? How many did you make?
4: No, we built actually eight cars. Oh, we eight put cars! In okay, the prototype. Yeah, but
2: because uh, I have Jay Leno's Ford one doesn't. Yeah, he,
4: yeah, he has a silver one that's on his show quite often. Mm-hmm. But since you know all the components were Ford, Ford Legal got involved and was concerned about liability. And uh, at that point, we had to buy a brand new short toruses and strip them to get the point, or you know, get the parts. At this point, hey, it made no sense. You'd had to sell a thing for fifty, sixty thousand dollars to break even. Mm. <laughs> uh,
2: another, and we got a few minutes left here. We got another unusual product project I want to talk about. You, I met you the first time was years ago at the uh, Festivals of Speed event in uh, Amelia Island during the Amelia Island Car Week, and I was doing some stuff mm-hmm. with Hollywood Wheels, and you rolled up. In a very unusual motorcycle. This motorcycle had a whole lot of cylinders and a whole lot of pipes hanging off the side of us. Do you want to tell us about that project?
4: Uh, about three years ago or something, I was between projects. I had nothing to do. My wife went to Brazil for the summer. And uh I decided to build myself a motorcycle and I had this Lambeau motor laying around. <laughs> um so I pulled the motor down, run to it. It actually turned out to be in really Very good condition. And so I put it up on the bench, propped it up at correct height, and built a motorcycle around it. And uh, uh, so far, I haven't had anybody come up and say, hey, my buddy has one just like it. (laughs) Uh, So, You know, it actually, once you're, it's, it's heavy, of course, a little bit. Standing still, and hey, I'm 83 years old. I don't have the legs I used to, but once you're moving five miles an hour, it's just another motorcycle.
2: Well, besides a Lamborghini 12-cylinder normally aspirated mode run, you also coupled it to a uh, three-speed automatic transmission, right?
4: Yeah, initially I uh, was setting it up with a five-speed Porsche transaxle, and I got to thinking that I, I, I don't need the extra hassle. Um, so, I put a three-speed uh, VW automatic in it, okay. and uh, this way I simply knock it in gear and ride it, and if I need to get up a, a on the kickstand, I throw the thing in reverse back up on the kickstand, and that's it. <laughs>
2: Well, I know that uh, you know back in the day you were telling me that which which makes which makes you kind of like special too and and truly understanding you know the whole mechanics and and uh, and the science of cars because you used to autocross a lot. And autocrossing is generally a skill that, you know, just because you're a good race car driver, and I've seen race car drivers on an autocross course, they can't autocross. They get totally confused because it's quick, it's turns, you know, and usually most of the time you're never even out of second gear. But your autocross experience kind of attributed to a lot of your success in building some of your sports cars and working with some of the, the other race cars and some of the teams over the years, correct?
4: Well... I was running a Healy in 62, mm-hmm. and the Cobras began to show up in maybe early 63, and they had a power advantage and a weight advantage. And uh, although I had a pretty serious engine and all in the Healy, I, I put an Ace Bristol rear end in the car, and I had a Mercedes box in it, so I had a decent gearbox. And the engine was shifted back, and, you know, it was a pretty seriously modified car, but it looked stock. Anyway, some, one day someone suggested I might be cheating, and huh. so I went home and built myself a 750 pound midship alpha powered little car and uh, ran that in 65. And in 66, I built an uh, even lighter version with a bigger alpha motor. And my wife took my 65 car and, went and run the, uh, won the state championship with it in 66. I'd started flying, and I didn't make all of the events. So my wife went and won the state championship with my last year's car. So they were pretty serious toys. Interesting.
2: Well, Chuck, we are just about up against the clock. So what I want to do is I want to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. I do want to wish you a very merry Christmas to you and your family. And if people want to find out more about you, how do they go about doing? It? I know you have some social media out there. It's uh, is it Chuck Beck Facebook? You have a Facebook page? There? Uh,
4: well, let's see. We have something at Chuck Beck. Uh, uh, Chuck Beck at MSN.com. Okay. Our, you know, and then. Uh, I'm not real familiar with this computer <laughs> stuff, but uh, Don't feel it's bad. all over YouTube and all of that. And you can, you know, just dial up back 904, back Lister, back Shogun, back five fifth. You know, I mean, any of the stuff, and a lot of information comes up.
2: Okay. Well, that sounds really, really good. Well, again, Chuck, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, next time I get up to Atlanta, when I'm out there uh, kind of nosing around, hunting for old cars or something like that, I'll definitely try to stop by and uh, visit your shop, because it sounds like it's some pretty cool stuff. So, uh, Well,
4: uh, well, swing by, and we'll take a car and slide across the countryside.
2: That sounds like an uh, an, uh, an offer I'll take you up on. Chuck, in the meantime, thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you. And uh, you take care, and we'll see you in uh, next year sometime. How about that?
4: Yeah, I appreciate it, and thanks, for, thanks for calling. Okay, very good. See you.
2: Very good. I want to thank my very special guest, Chuck Beck. Don't forget to. Yeah, he's right. I mean, I think it is. He's got a website. Um, out there, and then uh, you can actually go to Beck Spider. He's on there.
1: Chuck nine oh four is where I found
2: him. Chuck nine oh four, right? Very good, Bobby. And uh, he's got a Facebook page, and just the guy's just amazing. I mean, it's just one of these guys. He's just a real casual guy, and he just tinkers and works. And I got to tell you, you know, when I look at guys like him, when I look at guys like uh, Gene Winfield and uh, you know uh, Pete Brock all these guys and these guys are up in their age late 70s 80s they're out there still doing it they're not giving up they're just moving forward that is an inspiration to all of us I don't care if you're 30, 40, 50, 60 70 years old don't give up Pursue your passion. Follow your passion. In fact, Carol Shelby told me that one time. Many times. He says, follow your passion. In the meantime, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Talk Radio Network. I, wish, I want to wish everybody a very, very Merry Christmas. Don't forget, we will be here next week. Same bat time, same bat station for our New Year's Eve show. And uh, tell all your friends. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Nostalgic Radio and Cars for all our past shows. And, uh... Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. God bless.
3: Merry Christmas, you filthy animal.
0: And a Happy New Year. I'll tell Sandy Boss on you. WTAN Clearwater FM 106.1. WDCF Dade City FM 102.3. WZHR Zephyr Hills FM 104.3. Listen.